my God. Hey, Nicole. Evie. I know. I'm- Cheers, man. I am out. I am back home. Cheers. Cheers to the, to the queers. queers. And God save the motherfucking queen, God Charles. God save the queen. Um, Evie has spent the last two weeks held up in a basement prison in the UK. Yeah. In Buckingham Palace. Yeah. It was. Or Balmoral. I think it was Balmoral. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they blindfolded me. I have no idea where they kept they me. They took you. Yeah. I just remember having to constantly smell the king's boot until I would say, God save, save the, the king. king. Yeah. 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 We don't even, that's not in our vocabulary. I know, right? Ew. I'm like, I'm American. Like, yeah. fuck off. What? <laughs> we, Although my, we, we left the UK a long time ago. I, but I mean, then they were like, yeah, but we know about you. We know that you and your podcast partner tried to start a petition to return the original colonies back to yeah. England. Make so, America Great Britain, Britain again. again. <laughs> so they knew about that. So they were not falling for it. Very yeah. difficult. They just waited until Tricky I said situation. God save the king. So God I finally did. Fine. You know what? Yep. Fine. God save the king. Um, I don't even believe in God anyway. So what difference does it make? Uh, well, I do. So I feel like that's a good... We can... I don't... Um, are we yeah, a religious me, podcast? But me saying God save the king means nothing to Absolutely. me. Absolutely. Do you see what I'm saying? But I don't like, believe I in the king. You. So God save the king means nothing to me. So put it so together there you and go. it means nothing. nothing. God save the queen. We just figured it all Lizzie. out. Lizzie. Lizzie. Listen, Lizzie. We miss you. <laughs> Cheers to the queers. Cheers to the queens. Cheers to the queens. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Aside from being in a, a prison, in a dungeon in Balmoral. Yes. Yeah. Um, how was your week? <laughs> <laughs> Well, after I got back, it was pretty great because, you know, Amos and I had our 18th anniversary. That's wild. I know. That's wild. It really is wild. And you can have a whole ass child adult. I know. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, seriously, an 18-year-old, we could have an adult child. You could be grandparents. Oh, my God. Stop talking like that. No, but I mean, like, it's actually easy peasy. You could it's be. It's truly true. I could be a grandparent. Truly true. It's truly true, not fakely true. It's truly true. It's truly true. Um, yeah, so we had an amazing weekend. We went up north. Um, up north? That's not so north. Mi- that was so Michigan. Up north? No, well, no, know, it wasn't. North, it was so, we went north, up north. Up north is anywhere north of where you live, right? I know, but that accent, <laughs> that was a Michigander accent. It was funny because you're not even from here. But that was, we went up north to Myers, and we and we drove in our north Ford. North yeah. Myers? You're so Meyer. No, it's no, it's like more like Meyer. No, it's Meyer. My, the Meyers. Meyers is yeah, the whole point yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. We didn't but go to Meyers. You didn't go to Meyers. No, at we didn't once. go to Meyers. Not even once. I actually. call bull donkey yeah, on that. No, it didn't even happen. Really, probably wasn't even an anniversary without a trip to Meyers. I love Meyers. <laughs> Not the one that's near us though. That place is a fucking disaster. The eight mile one yes. is a disaster. Oh my god, I went there once. And I think it was in like 2021, and I didn't leave till 2022 because the line was so fucking long. Wow! Every you were time stuck I go there, there, almost the entire pandemic. Every time I go there, at least the second that was like way after part of yeah. the pandemic. No, the second pandemic, wave. I mean, like, let's face it, it's still oh God, happening. I knew you were gonna say this. I know. Uh, I know, I know. But anyway, what regardless, is it, third wave pandemic style. Regardless, I was there forever, and it was so fucking annoying and I don't like that one I like the Waterford Myers yeah yeah that's my favorite one do you drive all the way to Waterford just to go to Myers to be honest yes that's a waste of gas oh my do you know how much gas I waste 
Do you know? I'm sorry. I hate this. My carbon footprint sucks because you know how obsessed I am with driving. Yeah. And so I go on drives. Yeah. So that that matters isn't even half of it because I usually hit there. Then then I go from there. My favorite one of my favorite drives over there. What I really like to do is hit the East Coast. And this is of Michigan because we have an East Coast. Yes. And where you can go up like we are. We are all. All around we the are. I mean, coast, and it's gorgeous. We're the unsalted so, and coast, and it's close. So yeah. I, actually, it's eleven miles from here to um, if you just take eleven mile, it's eleven miles to where you start, and you can hit that road, and then take it north, and you can follow up like Lake St. Clair, and then from there, my favorite place in Michigan. So you want to go east, is what you're saying? Yeah, east, okay. and then you head north. My favorite okay. place in Michigan is this little place up by. I mean, my favorite place local in Michigan is this place up by um, Marine City in China Township. First of all, they have like little um, canals, and the canals are so freaking cool. Like you can drive around. The neighborhoods and all these little little canals with houses on them and then they have marshes and i I love a marsh i I don't know a marsh too listen i don't i don't know but and i've hiked those marshes a little bit although it's really deep and i do get i I find myself getting a little nervous because i'll get really far in them and i'm like "Mm, murderville and i'll bring texas with me who's the least helpful thing ever (laughs) i love him to death but still but anyway so if you head up um by like Marine City, China Township, and like head north, those marshes are gorgeous. And I strongly suggest driving up there, pulling over. There's cute little restaurants on the water and then walk through the marshes. And then I also love heading north from there because then you can go to, um, I think it's 28 maybe where you hit like it's like a coastal road and take it all the way up from um, Port Huron and then you can see some really cool lighthouses and then I can go right to my aunt and uncle's house and it's like 75 miles to you know where they live in Port Austin but it's all along the water and there's this place called Port Sanilac like midway I know it's 92 miles from where we are right now and it literally I'm not exaggerating it looks like I don't not we're not talking like Big Sur California but it looks like a, a classic California road where you're there's kind of a cliff in the water yeah it's so beautiful um so that's one of my favorite drives but also that being said my Myers drive so when I go to Myers if I head north there there's a really cool fucking Mennonite market about 48 I know all my miles but it's 48 miles away from Waterford and it's um because you know again I head up to Bad Axe all the time or Port Austin where my aunt and uncle yeah but like the Mennonites and the Amish I'm just gonna say they have the best fucking cheese well their bulk section too fresh and it's so cheap their bulk section you would love so fucking ridiculously cheap when we go to Amish country and get cheese it's absurd how much you should go I'm gonna I'll I'll show it to you after the market but it's not far it's a you know it's it's the thumb so you're talking yeah you're gonna drive through like like i think cornfields can be really beautiful and i like take pictures that way and there's some really cool spooky houses heading up in that direction farms too yeah so it's nice but um once you get up there that market is so fucking cool they're they're bulk food i mean you can all the stuff that you like that like those beans and stuff it's so cheap cheese everything everything it's a whole and they have a restaurant so it's like this really cool mennonite market and restaurant now I'm gonna. I'm not gonna lie. Um, politically, I do not agree with their positions that they put on their fucking sign. What? What's that? I mean, they're literally like, <laughs> they're gross. It's gross. They'll put on their big public sign political positions, and uh... yeah. So it's really hard to shop there ethically. 
But like once they started doing that, I haven't been back since. But that was like my go-to because I liked it. I was like, oh, this is cool. It's a fresh place. And vegetables were so. You know cheap. what? When we were up in, we were in Charlevoix and we were in this shop, and suddenly we looked. I looked up and I saw this sign that said um, something about prayers and heaven and voting no on pop prop three oh which is the, so insane the anti-abortion this. thing yeah and i was just like i looked at amos and i was like we've got to go and yeah she's like, she's like why and i said look up and she looks up and she goes and she dropped the shirt that she had in her hand and we just walked right out and it was just like one of those moments of like you know i really hate it when stores do that but at the same time thank you for doing that now i know not to spend yeah money yeah here. it's it's so weird because it's like i don't want to i don't want to uh support any of these places but also i don't know I don't, I don't know. Like, I, it's a cool, like, it sucks because it's such a cool place to go. Right, and I want right, like, yeah. you to see it. But yeah, but that being said, also, it's gross in that way. They do post politically their, like, yeah. their statements. Yeah, but, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, if I can live in ignorance about where you spend your political dollars, I'm more apt to spend my money there because I don't know yeah. any better. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? But if I know better. Well, I mean, I also think that, like, it's kind of on the Mennonite and Amish community generally. I don't know that they're voting often in general I elections, yeah, but I didn't know that they. But even I imagine voted. they would take more conservative stance. Oh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah. So anyway, that was our whole mission. We're a Michigan podcast, and we actually are. So that was the whole. <laughs> our whole intro was about Michigan things Michigan. to do. We are though. I like it. I think Michigan's beautiful. Michigan is beautiful. Should we get okay. to topic? Yeah, because my week was like. Oh yeah, how was your week? <laughs> Sorry. I was thinking about it. It was Halloween. Fuck. We didn't have fun at Halloween. Remember that business suit guy that was right next to you and we were laughing at the whole night? Come on. That was the funniest part of the whole night. When that guy, look, we're all in costume and there's this random man oh, who looked yes, like, a, like yes. a fucking Wall Street trader like sat next to Evie. Yes, yes. And I was like, are you in a business meeting? But yeah. Yeah. So was Halloween weird. was fun. Other yeah, than that. Halloween was fun. I cannot remember anything from this week one way or the other. Yeah. I started uh, One Tree Hill again. Oh, yeah. See, I wasn't here for Halloween, remember? Because I was in prison. That's why I don't know what you're talking about. Who am I about. even talking about? Uh, yeah. I mean, see, that's weird. <laughs> I was like, other friends? I'm trying to pretend like I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. Sure, Nicole. Oh, also. That business um, guy that sat next to me at some party that I wasn't at because I was in prison. Vote tomorrow. Vote. Vote, vote before tomorrow. Fuck, yeah, because this won't because come out Because by tomorrow. the time this comes out. I, if you didn't vote. You're grounded. You are grounded, young lady, young man, young person, old person, whoever the fuck you are. You're grounded, goddammit. Actually, our listeners, like the median age or like the numbers are like, like, we have a lot of listeners in their like 40s and 50s. Kind of like our demographic. Yeah. Yeah. Smart, sassy. Yeah. We have some listeners. People like, with uh, smart, sassy attitudes who are just not... Yeah, we have like seven listeners, in not as hip as they used to be. <laughs> What's, we have um, some very young listeners in Australia, which is yeah, that's yeah, yeah, yeah kind of that, that. They're gonna hate me for this. The down under, shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> so bad at it. Um, but listen, uh, did, did, I did listen to last week's ep episode. That I mean, it does sound like you had a great time meeting Lottie, though. She sounded like quite. I feel a like trip. I really showed my patriotism. I, you know, you were you were honestly the ultimate American. I was wearing my old Navy flag shirt. Too. I was wondering if you were also wearing like a Bush, Reagan Bush like fanny pack. 
No. Like 84. No, um, I but I was wearing I'm I'm a 90s girl, so I was wearing my I know. I mean it could have just been a vintage thing for you. 90s was Clinton. Clinton. Bush Clinton, Clinton yeah. Yeah. No, it wasn't Bush Clinton. They weren't like running together. Yeah, they were a team. It was Clinton Gore. They were a team together. They were best friends. They're dating. It was Bush You heard it here first. You heard it here first. George Bush and Bill Clinton are dating. Actually, the quail was in the bush. George George Clinton. And there was Gore and the Clinton. George Bush and Bill Clinton are dating. You heard it here first. Political podcast. Bye. Let's get to topic. We have an awesome guest this week. Yeah, we do. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. Okay, Nicole. Yes, I'm Evie. Really, really excited. Oh, me too. Yes, we have a guest tonight. Were you we aware? Do. I do. Uh, well, I am. You slightly. Are, you're aware? Well, I, I heard some. I heard you a rumor. You heard it through the grapevine? I well, heard okay. it through the grapevine. I love it. You're like, such a good singer. California Raisins. <laughs> okay, Queerdos. Tonight, we are very excited to bring to you an old friend of ours that we have known for quite a long time. Um, she is the author of a book, a bestseller on Amazon. It's called Tipped, the life-changing guide to financial freedom for waitresses, bartenders, strippers, and all other service industry professionals. Which a lot of us have been in your, yeah, or all of our experience yeah, in the we've service all industry, been right? There. Uh, please welcome Barbara Sloan. She is the author of this book, as well as the founder of Tipped Finance. She once lived in her car, danced for dollars, and definitely did not graduate from college. She's also a personal finance expert and money coach who spent, the, who spent two decades working in the service industry all over the country. Now she helps tipped workers achieve financial freedom just as she did. She's passionate about all the amazing aspects of tipped work and all the terrible aspects of tipped work. <laughs> she lives in New York City with her wife, who is an esteemed corporate finance exec, and together, they are a couple of adorable money nerds who point out every dog they see. Hello, Barb. Hi. Hi, Evie. Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. Welcome to Queer. Welcome to Queer. Woohoo. Cheers to the Queers. Cheers to the Queers. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm queer. sure. Well, you've listened before, so you know our our, our little uh, our cheers. Uh, let's all do it together. Let's do a cheers. Um, cheers. Know. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, your book is awesome. I've read it. Um, it's it's a really great read. It's really helpful, especially for somebody like me who's been in the service industry forever. I mean, to be fair, my whole family's been in the service industry in one way or another. So um, we've all kind of passed it around. And uh, yeah, it's it's great. I'm really excited to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat about it. And, to you know, I've worked in your family business as part of my experience in the service industry. That's true. That's actually a good point. You have. Um, yeah. You know, I, Barbara and I have uh, we have a lot of history together and uh, we've worked together in, in quite a few of the same places. So we might have started off together in the service industry bit. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think in the ways that it matters, I've had a couple of gigs before you and I started working in the service industry that I guess were technically tipped. Um, but my my bigger jobs in the service industry 
we definitely started off together. Yeah, yeah, but we well basically we've both been in the trenches. We know what it's like. It's um it's cutthroat. It's a great business. Uh, Evie too. Evie's worked in oh, yeah. service industry. Um, love hate. I mean, I totally understand <laughs> the passion for the good aspects and the passion for the bad aspects. Because I mean, there are moments where I miss doing that kind of work, you know. But then I think back to all those terrible, <laughs> you know, the backbreaking labor. I mean, it really is. It's tough work. It is tough work, but at the same time, there's a lot of jobs that require a lot of physical labor. And I think that one of the reasons that it's so physically demanding is because we did it for so many hours. You know, do you remember working doubles and clopins and, you know, I mean, I just think it would be a very different experience if we did like 30 hours a week now. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I, I think about that all the time. Um, A big thing now is lately I've been really, really focusing on getting 10,000 steps in a day. Now, in the service industry, that's fucking easy. Like, I would – A piece of cake. I remember when I worked at Magianos in Boston on a Sunday double, when we first started recording steps, I remember my friend friend and I recorded our steps, and we were at, like (laughs) – I'm not exaggerating. We were literally at, like – 22,000 steps at the end of the day because of the just the sheer volume of like fucking moving and caring um and to be honest that's actually one of the parts of the business like it's 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 exhausting but I also kind of liked that part yeah I did too yeah I mean the the I'm that's why I keep going into these kind of jobs that have are centered around the hospitality industry yeah because I'm not a huge office person well and I mean you know I mean working with the public can have its own rewards, but it can also have its own drawbacks as well. Right? Jo- I mean, yeah, I mean, my its soul it was scooped so out with a fucking spoon. Exactly, all the time. Yeah. it can be so yeah. much fun, <laughs> and it can be absolutely soul crushing. Yeah, and it's great and bad. But the biggest thing that the bottom line is: why do we all work for money and benefits? And honestly, that's where your book and your knowledge and information comes in handy because. You know, the, no matter all this other stuff that we talk about the industry, we all stay in it because you're making so much money an hour. You don't make that anywhere else, especially like like my niece is 21. She's working as a um, server manager and she started during the pandemic and they promoted her manager. She's making so much more money than she would anywhere else. Right. But like it also like that's this is why your book is so helpful, because it's weird to get this kind of cash. And I don't think we have that kind of like, you know, we have a blueprint for how to do everything else when you're getting a weekly paycheck, a biweekly paycheck, but like that cash nightly or those tips, it's for really sure. complicated. When you're, when you're going from, when you're working with paychecks, you are budgeting your money more sure. frequently than like when you're working with cash, it's so much easier to be like cash on hand. I'm just going to go oh my God. buy this Trust. thing, you know, yeah, so. just, just $20. Um, so Barbara, uh, if you, you want to give us a little bit of background and maybe kind of, you know, what, well, wait, I have, I have a question first. Sure. Um, so what, how old were you when you first got into like the service industry? My first tip job was when I was 10 or 11, I was a paper girl. Okay. Um, and so I had a paper route a couple of blocks away from my house. You guys know, being from Michigan, that's very hard work because rain, winters, you know, you're like bagging those papers and you're carrying your bag. And I had way more houses than my bag could carry. But I remember on the holidays, people would give me a dollar, five dollars as as a tip. And I remember feeling super rich at 10. Um, then I remember... <laughs> 
<laughs> I remember at 16, I had won a couple of tickets to a pink concert and was asked to. So I went to, I was working at the mall. This is a, this is a story that's in the book. I was working at the mall and was listening to a radio station and they were giving away tickets to a pink concert. And you had to be the first person to show up wearing the most pink thongs for the, you know, it was, it was gross like DJs. Right. And so they like, totally, they set up this contest in the parking lot of the mall and they were like, Oh, the first girls that show up wearing the most pink thongs win front row tickets to pink. And I was like, well, I work at JCPenney. I have access to the underwear bin, like the discount oh, underwear bin. Yeah, you did work there. I'm like, I've got this in the bag. After my shift, I went and picked up like every pink thong that was less than $2, showed up waddling, confident in my win. And they were like, let's watch you take them down and count them. We can't prove how many you have unless you strip them off. Ew. And, right? Gross. But I was 16 and I wanted those damn tickets. So I did it and I won the tickets. Um, you know, nothing creepy about a 16 year old taking off tons of pairs of underwear around mall goers and, you know, random people in a parking lot. It sounds perfectly normal for that time of life. Of life <laughs> so right? gross. I mean, oh, it's just so gross. Gross. fucking radio DJs. Yeah. DJs. So, but then all the mall security guards also were watching and they came to me the next day and they were like, Hey, we want you to do the same exact performance at a party that we're having. And we'll give you $300 plus tips. And I was like, all right, I'm in. That sounds like really easy, really great money. And so like, that was like the second intro into the service industry. And then, wait, so all you had to do for this guy. I'm sorry, but this is giving me Epstein vibes. Hard agree. That aside, though, like literally, you just had to go with a pile of underwear on, strip it off, and leave the bottom pair. I got to leave the bottom pair on, and then I just like, grabbed my cash and left. It was oh the easiest god. money. Oh my god! No wonder you got hooked on the industry pretty quick. Yeah, but that's, that, that's actually a perfect intro to how fucking gross. I have so many gross stories from the the industry when I was like young and the dudes that were running it. Because it was dudes. It was mostly dudes. Yeah. Yeah, but also God, the money was so easy. It so was. then when when I was 19, my dad passed away. And I had found myself in just like this very serious life where I had bought a house really young because I was working through my grief. It was the house I grew up in. Um, and I just had this super serious grown-up life. And sort of when that grief period ended, I just realized how precious – life was. And that was when I met Nicole and Nicole was like, Hey, I'm moving to California, like with a bunch of girls, I'm going to, you know, and I just wanted something easy. Things had felt so hard in my life for so long and so serious. And I just needed something easy. And so Nicole and the service industry in California fit that bill and I could not have gotten there faster. What an adventure. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) I got to tell you a little side story about that, though, only because this is queered and we do side stories. <laughs> do it. We had another friend who was coming with us, right? My best mm-hmm. friend at the time, Anne. And, and well, so, there, OK, so we ended up having this opportunity to move to California. A friend of mine, a friend of ours, uh, was able to sublet an apartment. I think she was dating somebody out there at the time. That's why she wanted to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And um. I was, uh, I had met Barbara at a job that we both had and, um, we connected quickly at a construction company. 
A construct. Yeah, I was. I was a construction person. I can just so <laughs> see you in a hard hat. Oh, 100 percent. No, I ran the whole. Yeah, like not only the hard hat, but like I actually, <laughs> you know, that drill that you go the do 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 do. That yeah. was me. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh. They used her as the drill. I know, right? Wait, say that again, Barb. <laughs> they used her as the drill. I was gonna fuck up. I was I was the drill I was the driller. I you're the little bitty bit. Anyway, anyway. Um so I met Barbara and we connected and uh anyway, uh also another friend was coming and my friend had come from some parents who are pretty strict, right? And she was not uh essentially she was not allowed to go. Um, and Barbara was very clever, very clever and very good at things and smart then, even then. I mean, she's smart now, but then like, right, oh right. my gosh, even in her youth, in her youth, she came up with this idea <laughs> to make this fucking pamphlet about a horse camp that we could give to my friend's mom to say that my friend was actually not just moving out to LA with us for the summer, but she was going to horse camp. So Barbara designed a fucking flyer for horse camp for my friend. Oh my God, that's elaborate. It was beautiful though, because it was a whole flyer, and like that was a time where people weren't as savvy in that stuff. Well, and there made wasn't a, Google's back then no, either. No, no, probably. no. She made a whole flyer for my friend to give to her mom about this horse camp that she was going to. So her mom thought that she moved out there for fucking, she actually lives out there still to this day. To be fair, she subsidized our rent. We needed her. We needed her because her mom would send us gift baskets. There were four of us in a studio apartment. Yeah, I'm sure. It was 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 350 square feet. Yeah. There's a whole story behind that. We'll get to that another day. But anyway, um, so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's my, that's okay. One of the top five favorite stories of my entire life. Right. Yeah. What's also hilarious is that I left like a huge wake of financial chaos in (laughs) behind (laughs) awake. Exactly. Behind me as I went to California. Right. So you had a house, right? You said you had a had You'd bought your family home. So did you have a mortgage at that point? I had a mortgage. Okay. Um, But I ended up. You just say, fuck it. Bye. Or. Is that no, what did, no, the woman I was dating at the time, we both agreed to sell it. Um, and so thankfully it was 2005. And so we just missed like the, a terrible housing market and okay. we were able to sell it for slightly, a slight profit. Um, but while we were in the house, I took out like 10 credit cards so that we could buy appliances and fix it up. And like everything was in my name and I was in a ton of debt when I left that situation. And then I, okay. I had a lot of guilt because I was the one leaving the situation. So I was just like, oh, no worries. I'll take all of this on. I had no financial literacy. So I had zero understanding of how predatory financial services were, how much this interest would add up to, what creditors could and would do to me. Um, so that kind of started me down my path of like really terrible financial decisions. And, you know, that's sort of the beginning of my, my money journey as well. And one of the, one of the reasons that this book is, it feels so important to me. Uh, we can fast forward a little bit. And well, I have a question. Yeah. I, I want to ask you a question if you don't mind answering. What would you consider probably your worst financial decision that you ever made? Like before, like you kind of knew knew the drill you know what I mean like 
before you knew the deal and before you kind of educated yourself on, you know, how to improve your situation. Yeah. I should have been buying rental properties when I was in third grade. That's probably my worst financial mistake. <laughs> <laughs> With your newspaper money. Exactly. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's, it's not, I don't have a big financial collapse story. It's very similar to probably what most people can relate to. I found myself in a debt cycle multiple times. Okay. I feel like I tested the limits of the credit system. I remember Nicole and I used to love to take out library books and <laughs> library CDs when we'd listen to like books on CDs traveling the, across the country and not return them because we were traveling. And the libraries reported to the credit agencies. Oh, so like they do. Yeah, they do. I don't know that. I re- they do. Libraries totally will hit up your credit and they will oh, ruin your credit. Did. I had no idea. I you were obsessed with the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> Do you know how much that cost me? That damn book cost me like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. <laughs> Listen, I'm not going to lie. It was a good fucking book. Might have been worth it. We drove to Salt Lake City to finish it. It was a good book. <laughs> I mean, Nicole and I also, I remember in Boston, your listeners are probably getting get, getting clued into the, the fact that we've known each other for a very long time. And maybe there's more to the story. Um, but so we lived together in Boston and we used Rent-A-Center to buy like furniture and TVs and shit. Like that TV was repossessed. Like I'm not kidding. The we, TV was? <laughs> what ha- oh well, you know what? This is a probably another conversation. Actually it doesn't matter at this point, but um I didn't know that. Remember that I hated that fucking chair to be honest. Oh, I like the couch, but I hated that chair. Um okay. yeah, so, we, we do a lot of yeah, mistakes. we have a bit of history. They're, they're they're typical mistakes. I feel like they're the type of mistakes anyone can you know make. Absolutely. I I think that's kind of important, too. I mean, like in terms of context from where you're coming from, you know, it is the fact that it is just sort of, yeah, like the the kinds of things that all of us do, the mistakes that we can all easily make when we just don't know better. Right. When you don't have any financial literacy and you have people like, you know, pushing credit cards on you or offering you buy now, pay later. That's a huge thing happening right now. And it's like, no, it's that's actually a really bad idea. It reduces the tension in your decision-making when you're buying things and it can be very, very bad for your future. Oh, okay. I definitely need to read this book because I have no idea it's, what you're even talking about. It's right so now. good. I'm telling you, I'm it's so illiterate when it comes to finance. I know we talk about really this. Am. It's if a good I book. I do it's... try to make it fun though. So I will say like, I have a whole chapter on investing. And if you've ever even been into a bar, which Evie, I've no, I know you've been to a bar, um, then you. you will have no problem understanding that investing after you read this chapter. It is so broken down. Everything is an analogy to the bar. I think that anyone reading this, this chapter, you will come out a better investor than majority of people in America. Right on. This one chapter. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I'm in. It made me stop and buy, start buying my Pawfi um, from my, my, my debit card as opposed to my credit card. Okay, I'll also say that it's is. not just for people in the service industry. Like I get a lot of people saying that they were a gig worker or a consultant and it was really helpful for them. It's, it's really good for anyone who works on a fluctuating income or has fluctuating expenses. That's that's yeah, that is good to know. Cause I was actually going to ask if, you know, how applicable this could be to gig workers like Uber drivers, Lyft drivers, 
um, DoorDash people and stuff like that as well, because I know that their tipping system is a little bit different, but it's still a tipping system, right? It's still the same. I mean, I use a lot of stories and analogies in the book because I want it to feel easy and relatable. My experiences are from bars, clubs, and restaurants. And so I speak from those places, but it's totally applicable for anyone who works on a tip-based income. There's over 5.5 million people in the U.S. living on a tip-based income. So it's a big group of people. It's the largest private employment sector in the United States. And like in terms of tipped income, um, generally speaking, I, I mean, is this true across all sectors or most sectors? And that is that like, like generally speaking, like your hourly wage is pretty low and that you're taxed on a percentage of like whatever your quote unquote sales are. So despite whether or not you make whatever, you know, your sales say you should make in tips, even if you don't make that amount, you're still paying taxable, you're still being taxed on that amount. Is that still hold or, I mean, I've been out of the industry for a little while, so I'm not sure. Yeah, it's super state specific. So federally, <laughs> tipped workers are the only other worker classification group of people that have their own separate minimum wage. Federally, the minimum wage is $2.13. Right. It's terrible. But then right. states can add a separate sub-minimum wage to their own state, you know, law. Okay. And so, you know, for instance, California is $15, which is the highest end of, of the spectrum. And then you have states that just stick with the federal sub-minimum wage of $2.13. So some establishment, it's super establishment and state specific okay. as far as how much you end up having to to receive or claim. But okay. as we know, majority of people in the industry don't claim their tips for a variety of reasons. I, I often like to say this, like, it's not that people are trying to screw over the government or, you know, not, not pay their taxes. If any of us didn't get a W-2 at the end of our year, would we know how much we made or how much, you know, we do because we get those paychecks, but would we know how much income we made and how to claim that? No. And so people in the tipped industry often don't claim their tips, one, because they're not tracking their income, and two, because it's a little bit of short-term thinking. Um, short-term thinking is the key. Yeah. They'll either like rattle off a number that sounds good or, you know, they'll get to the point of tax time and they'll say, oh shit, I don't have money for taxes, so I'm just going to like drop this number down a bit. Um, but that's actually really a, a bad decision because when you aren't claiming your income, then you don't have access to things like social security. You don't have access to unemployment. You wouldn't have access to traditional financing if you wanted to get a mortgage. Um, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that can impact you from not claiming your tips. That's why so many of my friends, like, I mean, I think of like cities like Boston. It doesn't happen here as much. Most of my friends have moved out of the restaurant industry, but like Boston, I have a lot of friends who are still in the restaurant industry because you make so much money, but they also, I mean, you're renting for various reasons there. It's harder to buy a house just in general because it's so expensive, but like so many of them stay in that cycle. Like you just can't, they don't get out of it. Well, it's, it's hard. It is a hard yeah. cycle to get out of. Sure. So, yeah. I mean. They, but note. they can't get an hourly job that may, like I have one friend, a pretty good friend who moved into uh, management of like a, a catering department for a really nice store and like a nice store and a good salary. And she we talked for a really long time, like after she, you know, she she'd been waiting tables for so long. 
she was making so much money serving and then she moved into like a position that had benefits and paid well paid really well but she struggled so much for a, for a, a year there at least yeah. because it was such an adjustment yeah her but also are... she was so insistent on like you know she was getting older and she was at the point where i need to you know she's like i need to start thinking about my future and mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. and that's and that's why i think this book is so powerful is because this mm -hmm. teaches you how to set up systems while you're in this job the two biggest ways that people build wealth in our country in the u.s is one through their 401k and two is through their primary residence 401ks are not an option for people in the service industry you're excluded from those and I think it's I think it's bullshit that people who work nine to fives have this HR Sharon who's just like, check this box. And in 20 years, you'll have eight hundred thousand dollars and people in the service industry, you know, maybe retire with eight thousand dollars, you know, and then. Well, and also, I mean, like another thing that Nicole said about this woman was that she, you know, quit that this service industry to get this job and it had benefits. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that a lot of service industry jobs don't have. No, not at all. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, like a sick day is not just a sick oh, day yeah. for a no, worker. It's, it's a missed, it's a day of missed wages. Mm -hmm. It's money out of pocket because you've got to pay for whatever healthcare expenses you need on your own. Mm -hmm. And they still make too much to qualify for subsidized healthcare programs. Like, yeah. well, like even Mass Health. Like, I'm I'm still thinking of Boston, which is a you know Barbara and I both lived there uh, for a while, and Mass Health was like a social program they have, kind of like a state sponsored program. And um, but you had to make under I want to say you had to make under like thirty grand or twenty seven thousand a year. And most of the people in the service industry that I know made over that. But not enough for like, but they still weren't offered benefits. Over thirty and grand. Like, I mean, like thirty-two grand in Boston not, is like it's not living. Not livable. I mean, they would it's make not. no, they would make good money, but it would show that they would make that much because they're not claiming that much right. because they didn't want their ta yeah. It's a fucking cycle, like yeah. what you're talking but, about. And like you said, the industry, it's it's not. They're not having. It's not an income problem. People do not have an income problem for no. the most part, especially in larger cities, urban environments. They're not having an income problem. Like Evie was saying, the biggest problem is in benefits. Yeah. When, when you think about the average nine to fiver, they have a week of vacation. They get five days of PTO. They get seven holidays. That's 20 days. That's a working month. Can you imagine as tips people what how much happier, healthier, more productive, you know, you would be at your job, heck, living your life if you had a month of working days off. So I think paid time off is a huge, huge benefit that people discount. Um, I talk about how to set up PTO for yourself in the book. Also health insurance, same thing. It's not offered for people in the service industry. 95% of service industry employers do not offer health insurance. Yeah, that's why. You know, I mean, especially these past few years with the pandemic, I mean, that has just been really heavily on my mind because here we are calling tipped workers essential workers and putting the weight of like our like desires on their shoulders yeah and they're out there going out there working for us every day without benefits so you get covid <laughs> you know long COVID, any kind of COVID, especially before the vaccines were out. I mean, and you're a tipped worker. I can't imagine that that would be like, you know, potentially to the point, like putting you out on the streets, you know, I mean, it, it could be that devastating. Sure. Certainly. 
Yeah. Yeah. So those, those benefits are a huge, a huge part. I, I follow a lot of like Reddit threads and Facebook comments and people are always like, why are we allow, why are we responsible for paying these restaurants employees? And I'm yeah. always like, okay, well, there's three types of employment. There's W2 work, right? Where the employer is responsible for giving you your job description, your wages and your benefits. There is gig work, there's, which is also part of like consulting, you're a business owner, you're an entrepreneur, there you're responsible for setting up your own benefits for yourself, your wages, and you make the pricing so that you can cover those business expenses, your wages, and your, your benefits. But tipped work, is it, it's its own classification, its own separate type of work. There will always be this type of work. It's not that you're doing the employer's job, right? Right. You are responsible for that tip because your experience is unique. When you come into a restaurant, you're not having the same service that everyone else is having. You're having a very separate and unique service experience. It's not like you're at a football stadium and you're watching the same game as everyone else and, th and that's your experience. Every situation is unique. When tipping first started, it, it was brought over from Europe before the Civil War and it was brought over by Americans who thought it was really, you know, aristocratic. And it had a very problematic uptrend post-slavery. So the people who owned railroads and owned restaurants realized that they could use this loophole of tipping so that they could continue to make profits off of the backs of their black, brown minority and uneducated workers. Really? So, yeah. So it, I it did has not its, know this history. It has so its wait, roots in slavery. Um, Wait, can I can I just ask a question really quick before you go on? And that's, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's so interesting, just especially because in Europe they don't do the tipping system anymore, right? And so that's like one of the frustrating things over here when you get a group of European people sitting at your table, you're like always like, oh my God, are they going to tip or are they going to think it's part of the check? You know, you never know. So that's interesting to know that it came from Europe and Europe has now solidly rejected <laughs> that plan. And here we are. God save the queen. Mm -hmm. save but the queen. then I also tell people like, so eventually railroad workers, they went on strike and they got benefits and they got to be part of the standard minimum wage, whereas okay. people in the service industry didn't. But and then also, unions and mm -hmm. all of the, okay. But I challenge that and I say, when is the last time that you had a damn good time with a railroad worker? Well, I mean, personally, I actually had one about a month ago. Did you? <laughs> I've never had anyone say that they've had a damn good time with a railroad. When you take Kalamazoo. But honestly, it was only because I like I upgraded myself to business class, which is like first class on the railroad, and so you know we were treated a little extra. Special. We had fun on that train in Scotland. <laughs> we did have fun, but we not because of the workers. No, because of the tide pem. Yeah, no, there was just one guy who was just super awesome. That was it. We Everybody had else a was few kind guys like boring, but yeah. who were on a bank holiday. But then also Barbara had a tide pem, and nobody had seen a tide pem. Oh, it's so magic. She, she pulled out the Tide pen and everybody was like, what is this? She's yeah. a witch. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean, I did, but that was just one specific worker. <laughs> well, one point in time. I'm glad he's still holding on to the curated experience. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's not curated to each. Yeah, it's on a service. You can just be a It's the a exception, worker. not the rule. Yeah. Yeah. So please continue. Service industry is so different because it's so curated. But you're like totally it's... right. Like, well, in, in the service industry, you do spend more time with 
you mm-hmm. know, your server, your bartender, oh your gosh. driver. The your... things I've had to say to people, um, the way I've had to make myself small and not a human and not a, and the couple times that I have said things and then I got in trouble. Or the couple times, yeah. like I, one of my favorite things about bartending personally, and sometimes waiting tables, depending on the restaurant, um, was that I was able to be sassy and sort of slap people down. I feel like bartending, maybe serving though, like it depended on where you were. Yeah, yeah. Serving. Like I've worked at a couple places where it was, you know, like it was Ed DeBevix, like in LA, you know, where you're, it's totally cool where they, you know, insult you and come to your table. Yeah, you worked there? No. Oh, I'm saying that could be your vibe, like though. That, yeah, you know, sure. where it's like it's part of the shtick. And bartending, too, it's like you could easily slap people down and just be, and they'd eat it up because you're pouring their drinks. Yeah. But you know? serving, I've had to make myself into like 37% of a human. Oh, absolutely. And to just be like, <laughs> yeah. I can't even There's think about it those... now without wanting to slit my throat like there's definitely those bad experiences but when you think about the good side there's an art to it right like when you think about the pandemic and the fact that no one had access to bars restaurants hairstylists like those are the times and places where you have your best conversations your best experiences if you are called to this industry then you have a particular skill set that is valuable to your community in very intangible ways You are raising the level of energy. You're raising the vibration in a room that you are in. Your smile may be the only smile that somebody gets in a day. Your conversation may be the only conversation that somebody gets. You are there to empathize. You are there because you have great listening skills. Service industry, I learned so many skills when I was in the service industry that translated to me owning a business and running a very successful business. It's the same skill set. You become really good at interpersonal skills, you become a really good communicator. You, your social skills are super, super strong. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's really true. I mean, a good uh, service worker can make or break an experience for sure. I mean, you can have, like, if you're out at a restaurant, for example, you can have amazing food. But if you have shitty service, it can really make that meal, like, No, that's why I've I've stayed in one way or another stayed in this industry. I mean, my family, I grew up in it. I literally grew up in it. My family owned a catering company. You know, my grandma still has people to this day ask about her. You know, I work for some people in catering and stuff, and they'll still constantly talk about my grandma and how big of a difference she made in her life, you know, Mm -hmm. or in their life, rather. And Nicole, you are so good at this. Like, I've watched you in private home catering gigs. I've watched you in restaurants and bars. Like, you are a performer. You are a comedian at your tables. You also... You give a damn. And that's what people need when they go to service industry places. They want someone, they had a tough day. The last thing they want to do is, you know, cook another meal or take care of a kid or take care of an aging parent. And you are someone who is so good at like putting them at ease and letting them know I've got this. And it's a real service to the world. I can see that. Well, thank you. No, I mean, it's, I've done she, it. She just bowed a little bit. I did bit bow. Like, I've done it my whole life and I am good at it. And I, I excel in all of the service hospitality jobs. That's why I stay in it. I get promoted every time. Like I'm fucking good at it. It's, yeah. it shrinks me sometimes. It's hard. I mean, it's like, it's weird because like some of my family's not like I have my youngest sister is working and she's terrible in the service industry. Her face shows it, her body, her language, everything. And I'm so uncomfortable when I have her with me because I'm like, no, 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 no. And I show that like innate 
thing like with me within me that I'm like, no, 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 we have to make this experience great for them. I don't care what. And then I'm like, what am I saying? But then I'm like, but this is how I feel. It's like this internal struggle that like part of me is like, I fucking hate the service industry because I feel like I have shrunken occasionally. I had somebody ask me if I could make them fucking apple juice before. <laughs> like, I can't literally, I'm not joking. I had a woman once ask me to explain garlic. You know how difficult it is to explain garlic? I love that. And she was so mean to me. And I'm like, it's it's garlic. I mean, it's garlicky. <laughs> I don't know. Literally, I've had people like explain the flavor. Yes, of she's like, what is garlic like? I'm like, what's a fuck? It's are you a fucking vampire? It's garlic. <laughs> like I didn't say that to her, but I was like so dumb. I was flabbergasted. I'm like, it's. <laughs> garlicky literally so i had somebody say well can you make it when talking about apple juice ma'am hold on let me go to the cider mill and press it real fucking quick like what i have had like literally i had somebody i swear to god i had somebody once ask me if gray goose was vegetarian or if there was like a goose extract in it Oh my god! And I'm just like, I hate. I, those are the times where I'm like, I hate my life. Yes, actually, they're <laughs> no. But they make such good and story. Pink, not gray. I. But they wanted to trick you, and that's why they named it gray. I was like, I hate my life. I hate. Like, what am I doing? But also, then it comes down to it. When it comes, I'm, I'm just really good at it because I do the other time, the million other times, I excel. But I mean, yeah, it's it's a fucking tough industry. It does. It's it grates your soul a little bit. It can. Well, and so I did write a whole chapter on boundaries because I think when you are working with the general public, creating boundaries is super important. And Nicole, I have seen you use boundaries like when you walked to your car to get something and then never came back to your shift. You know, that's a boundary. Oh, you're pulling up the big guns, huh? <laughs> Ma'am, I've seen I've seen you create some boundaries too. But yeah, no, 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 I have. Um, one time I told them that I, I was asthmatic and I had to get my inhaler. <laughs> I didn't, I was, listen, I was hired as a, I was a whole professional server who'd walked on, like worked on the Las Vegas Boulevard. I've done all the stuff. And then the motherfucker tried to hire me as a busser. <laughs> I, in my hometown, yeah. No, 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 yeah. yeah. And then, like, drive over the curb when I'm leaving. Yeah, no, 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 I'm not going to fucking do that. I, yeah, yeah, you're right. I guess those are boundaries. Let's call them that. that yeah, but, and but boundaries are important in every job that you're good. in. It's not just this industry, but this industry does have unique hazards, and the general public is definitely fucking one of them. Yeah. I also I think for... that uh, having, like, an emergency fund is one of those things that I wish I had had at any point in my early career in the service industry, because if I had had a bucket of money, there would have been so many more moments where I'd have been like, I'm not fucking doing this. I'm not doing it. I, I mean, a stash, you mean? Yeah. Big stash. <laughs> in the, in the mattress? No, she knows what I'm talking about. I know. She, she knows what I'm talking about. So I had a boss once though, uh, uh, at a restaurant who insisted, like there was a whole, like, slew of rules there's like 34 37 rules up in the like server area and it was stuff that we could and could not do and one of the things we were not allowed to do was compliment a guest because (laughs) 
if you compliment one guest at a table and not another, the other one might be offended. That's what I mean. I, and I was just like, that is literally the dumbest thing I've ever heard, dude. Like, I'm going to go ahead and say, I like your earrings if I like your earrings. <laughs> I like your tie. I like your shirt. Those are great shoes. But it would be things that he would actually, yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of boundaries, I had to set a boundary and quit. <laughs> Yeah. Terrible, <laughs> terrible management is definitely tough. Nicole will remember this one. I worked for this dive bar in Las Vegas called Lucky's. It was like oh, yeah. the OG, like I'm not kidding, the original dive bar of ever having anything. So this dive bar was in between a truck stop and a motel that rented rooms by the hour. So if you can imagine my clientele, it was yes. working women and truckers and... <laughs> I had a manager who had just bought this bar. He was a bar manager and bar owner, and he was unaware of the fact that that was the location and type of bar that he owned. Oh he had us scripts of things that I was supposed to say at this bar. Like, <laughs> would you like a slice of ooey, gooey, cheesy pizza? And like, how about a pack of reds for the road? Like scripts that I had to stick to. It was, I was like, you're just going to keep, and I had to have a conversation with him. And I was like, listen, you're just going to keep churning bartenders if you keep this up. It's not going to be good for you. It's not going to be good for the business. Like, <laughs> let's let's figure out a way to to make this better for everybody because I'm not doing that. Um, it was like one of, you know, when you're leaving Vegas to go to L.A. Uh -huh. It was like one of the last exits. Okay. Like Blue Diamond. When you're like leaving Vegas, like right outside of it, it was like that. And there was it was a tiny little place. bar, a tiny little bar. It right smelled there. like. Like sour beer, cigarettes, and unwanted touching. That's how it and, smelled. And she had to, she, so they, people would always want to take shots with her. So she had to drink warm Coke <laughs> for her shots. Cause she, I mean, you, I, I'm assuming you could take shots, but you didn't want to. No, I got paid. That was my deal with him. I was like, if I drink flat Coke that's in my special Jaeger bottle with the rubber band around it, can I pocket the cash from the, the shot? Cause that was the only way I made any money there. And he was like, yeah, okay. So I drink a lot of flat Coke. That's pretty clever, actually. Yeah, I remember that job. I, I remember that well. I that when we were doing shots of Jaeger back in the day. Oh, yeah. I drink a lot of Jaeger. At festival? <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, no. The, the Jaeger worked, yeah. No. So, so, Barb, so, so how did you start to, like, kind of come around and, like, get, like, a handle on your finances? Like, how did this kind of metamorphosis if you yeah. will from you know uh money illiterate to money literate how did that happen for you yeah so I would say like I had an awakening 2013 2014 uh, 2013 I moved to New York City and I got two jobs when I moved here the first was at Coyote Ugly um and if your listeners are not aware there's like a movie about Coyote Ugly you stand on the bar you sing on the bar you dance on the bar you hit your patrons it's a, it's a good time. Um, and so I started working there and then I also got another job working on wall street for an unregulated firm. So it was part trading floor and part independent sales organization that was selling usurious loan products or like loan sharking. And that was a huge education for me on the markets, on predatory lending, which I had obviously been on the other side of when I got into debt cycles and all of the other stuff, but I saw how awful and predatory it was. And when we shipped our third trader off to rehab, I was like, I need to go back to like construction and service industry because those are my main two career paths. Financial. Third trader off to rehab? Yeah, it was, it was so toxic. 
Um, but so then I got a job working at the construction company that I now own. I was employee number four and I was tasked with setting up the benefit system and running the accounting and finance department. And so I had never had HR before. I had never had a benefits package. So I basically had to learn about all of these benefits and systems from the ground up. I'd never had a 401k. So I was constantly doing research. I had maybe had health insurance once in like the last 15 years. And so I was researching health insurance plans, figuring out what's the difference between a deductible, coinsurance, max out of pocket, all of these things. And then on the other side of it, we were working for these really high net worth clients, helping them with their budgets for their renovations. So I was getting to see how they thought about money, how they viewed their budgets when it seemed like they had unlimited resources. And that was sort of the aha moment where I was like, oh, it's this mindset these systems and the understanding of these financial principles that that's how people build wealth. And that's the reasons that myself and all of my peers in the service industry had been left out of wealth building opportunities. We didn't have access to these systems and benefits. We didn't have this financial literacy and we didn't have this mindset. And so it was there that I was like, I started to get the ideas for this book. 2016 happened. Um, we all know what was happening in 16. Political world was a nightmare. I turned off all media. I couldn't stomach anything. And I just started listening to personal finance content, the sweet, soothing sounds of financial media. God. And through that, I didn't hear anyone who looked or sounded like me. I didn't see anyone who had made their career in the service industry. No one was talking to them. No one was educating them. The only time they saw anyone from the financial services industry was in a predatory way. And it was there, I was just like, well, someone needs to be talking to these people. And I had a lot of imposter syndrome. I was like, oh, it can't be me. I don't have any credentials. I don't have any education. I've only worked in six states, not all of them. I only, you know, figured out this stuff with working multiple jobs, not just service industry jobs only. So I had a lot of imposter syndrome. And finally, I just listened to one podcast where someone was like, write the book you wish you had had. And I was like, okay. And so that was kind of how this, this, you know, I totally understand the imposter syndrome thing. I, you know, I've felt that way a lot in my, uh, professional life, you know, and so I totally get it. But like, when I look at your background and everything, like in terms of where you've come from, I mean, the fact that you have worked in the service industry for 20 years and you had that time and that insight into wall street and, you know, being able to like, take that time and learn this shit really does position you in a very unique way to be definitely a, a very great leading voice for this, you know? So, I mean, while I understand the, the imposter syndrome that you were feeling, your background certainly lends itself to you being certainly a leading voice in this. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. And I hope that you know, I think one of the other things that helped me was realizing that while I may be the only voice right now, hopefully I will model this. And so other people feel like it's okay for them to talk about their experiences and, you know, how they made finances and personal finance work for them. Yeah. Cause I, I, I can't be the only voice. I can't, I cannot model for everyone, but I can model for a lot of people. Right. Absolutely. I mean, but it's also, it is something that I think especially, you know, service industry people are not, it's, I think it's a topic that I think most of us, 
And I say us because we've all been there. Sure. Um, you know, we're not comfortable with, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, you know, financial independence and financial in, financial freedom doesn't really seem like attain, an attainable goal. Oh, well, I'll be honest. I've only found it the last few years, you know, like I, I didn't, <laughs> I was in very similar boats there, Yeah. but I really only started investing. I bought, finally bought a, a brand new car. Mm -hmm. I finally got credit card. Like I did all of this in the last few years. Yeah. I had never done it. I, and because I didn't have any sort of, um, no, that's, it's not fair to say that I'm a whole adult to be like, I didn't have any role models there. Well, I no, really didn't I any... think that's, that's fair. I, mean, I know, I know, but it's still, it's, you know, I mean, I'm, listen, listen, okay. I, I don't think that like, I think that having, we talk about representation mattering all the time, sure. right? And so like not having a role model is a valid thing. Like, I don't yeah. care if you're an adult or fucking not. Like, there are a lot of things that we as adults were never taught to do ever. Right. Yeah. And and that. this is something that like I think a yeah. lot of us in the service industry were never taught. I had any I, I didn't have debt, but my credit score was literally one time I looked, I'm not even joking, like five years ago, and they were like, Who are you? <laughs> no, I'm not joking. They were like <laughs> they were like, You don't need I had the I had the same you credit. I had the same credit as like a toad. Yeah. They were like, You don't exist. Yeah. And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah, I mean, the weird and, thing about uh, yeah. credit is, is is that you have to build credit to get credit, but you can fuck up your credit without having credit. Sure, That's yeah. That's the weird thing about it. I had the same credit as a toad, and then I worked in, you know, I like I, I'm I, – <laughs> I'm weirdly responsible with money and I have been for a, a bit because I'm, I I don't know when this came on. It was obviously a little after all of this, but um, I ended up, you know, it, sort of becoming anxious about it and focusing on it and focusing on like, oh my gosh, retirement eventually. And I 401k and I, I need credit and I need a car and I need all this. And I, you know, I busted ass last, like, however many years and I got it all finally yeah. now I'm not like rolling in the deep but like yeah I'm at a place now like I if I need to buy something I can mm -hmm. you know I'm in a fairly comfortable position um I think it's really important that you just said that you were anxious because I think that a lot of queer people experience scarcity mindset around their finances. I legit was just going to say that because Amos and I actually had a conversation about this this past weekend. Um, and that's exactly what I said to her was that I do have a scarcity mindset when it comes to money and when it comes to sort of my well-being. you know, I sort of do have this, you know, mindset of, you know, that I'm still this 20 something year old scraping. Oh, by, sure. You know what I mean? And and so I, I still have that mindset even this many years later, you know? So it, I think that is a really important point. And if you don't mind, like, how do you think that um, a good way for us to like sort of att attack that is, or, you know, maybe uh, not attack, but uh, face it and, and um, yeah, I think first of all, naming that you have a scarcity mindset is super important. So if you're someone who's ever hoarded anything, that's scarcity mindset. If you are somebody who's ever felt like you had to take care of everyone around you, scarcity mindset. If you're somebody who feels like you have to make up for what you didn't have in your childhood, like, oh, I didn't get to have these experiences as a child, so now I'm going to spend lavishly on these things, right. that's scar scarcity mindset. Yeah. It, 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 there's a lot of things that show up in your life, and that is part of scarcity mindset. 
I like to tackle it with four, four ways to, the other side of scarcity mindset is an abundance mindset. And there's four ways that I like to talk to coaching clients about how to build an, an abundance mindset. And the reason I love tackling abundance mindset is because majority of it is either low cost or free ways to tackle it. The way that I tackled my um, scarcity mindset was with mantras. I love mantras. My mantra was money comes easily and frequently. And I love that mindset or I love that mantra because money, when you're in the service industry, money did come easily and frequently. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The second way that I love to tackle um, scarcity mindset is with identity. So you build up the identity that you want to have. Have you saved? Then you are a saver. So adopt the identity of I'm a saver. Have you invested? Then you're an investor. Adopt the identity of being an investor. You're not bad with money. You're working on getting good with money. You're not broke. You're in a wealth building stage of life. Uh, your, our words matter so much. Adopt the ones that create an abundance mindset identity. So there's mantras, there's identity, charity. Charity can be free. You can donate your time. You can donate things that you're not using. Charity is cool because it does this thing to our brain where if we're giving things away, our brain is like, oh, we have enough. And when you have enough, you're in an abundance mindset. So charity is a great one. And if you do have resources, you can give a little bit as well. And I think that's one of the things that as queer people, you know, we need to tap more into because as queer people, we're not as good because we, most of us are in that scarcity mindset. We're not as good as leg in legacy building for our communities, for our neighbors. And so, so I really like charity for building an abundance mindset. And then the last one is gratitude. Same thing. This does a trick in your brain. When you are saying all of the things that you're grateful for, you're building paths in your brain that connect you to, I have enough instead of, I don't have enough. What I need this. I need this. I need this. When you have enough, you are living in abundance. Okay. I actually, I, I can appreciate that because I mean, a lot of what you're talking about is just sort of switching the way you think about things. Right. And mm -hmm. sort of reprogramming yourself to, instead creating of creating neural pathways. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Creating new neural pathways. Exactly. I think that's, and I, that is something that I've definitely been working on in a lot of different I, ways. It's, so it's really silly, but about it that way too. a big thing I do and I, it's ridiculous, but I donate $5 a month to like three or four different Patreons and a, like a couple things that I found, not GoFundMes, but like to certain people. And it's, it's probably a hundred dollars in total, but it's like here and there. Yeah. And I've been doing it for a few years and it makes a huge difference to me. Like I, I feel like when I'm doing it, it does put me in a, a mindset of like, okay, well I'm doing this. Like I'm a functional member of society helping other people out. Yeah. It's $5 and it's on Patreon. And three of them are to people that have cats and they're just to see cat pictures because I am allergic to cats slightly. <laughs> you are not and allergic so, to cats. I know. I know. We, we have an argument about this. I think I'm slightly allergic to cats, but she thinks I'm not, but like, you're probably so not. I, I'm just going to side with Barbie. Oh my God. <laughs> so I don't have any cats, but I donate to three different cats, but it's ridiculous. But it's also one of those things that makes me feel like, Ooh, look well, at me. Fancy pants donating. I think, I think that's interesting too, because I mean, like, I do like that idea of like when you are in charity mode, you are in, 
a feeling of abundance. Like I have enough. I mean, because it's true. I mean, like it's so that is a huge thing for me because it makes me feel, but I mean, like my whole life, like no matter how, uh, broke I might've been at the time or how little I was earning, you know, I would see somebody on the street and be willing to give that dollar regardless, because it was sort of like, well, this person is clearly struggling more than I am. So I am in some way living in a, in abundance. So I do like that perspective shift, you know, yeah. for myself. Yeah. You're such a good person. I'm such a good person. I know. Is that what you wanted? To... So holy. I just wanted to I'm say like you're a saint. Really. You're such a good so person. So Evie, you, I'm so curious to know, like, what do you think about your queer experience that brings out your scarcity mindset? You know, I don't know. I I think it's just mostly having. Well, I mean, no. It has to do probably with, you know, back in my 20s, working paycheck to paycheck, service industry style. Also, having been an addict, definitely Mm. spending all of the money that I could potentially scrape together on, you know, pawn everything, get get what you need, you know, and then having to crawl back out of that cycle, right? That was a really tough place to be, right? I mean, I had been evicted. I had literally nothing. My credit was completely ruined. Um, my ex-husband and I split up. It was just a fucking nightmare situation, but it was just, so I think that's probably where it all comes from for me, you know? And, and that idea of feeling like I'm always going to be scraping by, you know? And I know that's not true because I mean, I've, 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 I've lifted myself out of that cycle. If it makes you feel any better or not, just so you know, from an outsider perspective, when I look at you guys in your house and your life and your home and your, your, your animals and everything that you do for um, the in-laws and everything, I think of you guys as being not well off in the like traditional, but like, that you know well off like you're good you're there yeah no I know and it's weird though because it it's though. like I yeah. and I get where you're saying yeah. where you're coming from but like also just just so you know when I look at you guys I think of you guys as like a goal listen like when I you know take a step back and, and know my life I do understand yeah. that I'm not I'm not trying to like struggling combat right? that I'm just saying that no, I, I, I totally just so you know I yeah I totally do understand yeah. because I do know that that's not where I am anymore but I still have that mind sure so, so I, I think, think that that's the thing. I think a lot of people carry shame around money. It's a very shamey, shamey I topic. Do. Either I you shame, don't. I carry shame around it a lot. Yes. And I think for queer people, right, we also carried our own shame around various things. And so I think that there can be some overlap where, you know, you felt shame about either, you know, people, there's, you know, when you're gay or queer and you're coming out, like, it's hard to come out. And it's the same thing for finances. Most people don't talk about money. So when you're kind of like, oh, how do I stack up next to my peers? Am I doing okay? Am I not doing okay? We're not talking about this. No one knows really what's happening. You're carrying all of this shame and you're not able to come out, right? There's no financial coming out where you're like, here I am. This is what it looks like. Love it or leave it. Like (laughs) there's no parade. It's true, but also there's also that sort of, mindset inside of me anyway I don't know I can't speak to other people but that sort of like idea of like don't want people to perceive me as being bougie 
conventional conventional there is Maybe something conventional. to there is something to be you said know? about being queer and sort of living that um not just non-conventional but sort of a, what is that word where you're a little subversive yes that i think that's probably subversive yeah. so it's kind and of to be that sort of, of struggle and poor is like against the grain exactly. and there's something there's almost, romantic about it even though there's not but there is i mean there's not. here's the thing okay i am a middle-aged white lady right and so and you're and a lawyer i'm a middle-aged white lady who does have a comfortable living yeah you're a lawyer right? you're a so lawyer i am super hyper aware of my status in society as that right and yet i do have a certain amount of shame around that a hundred percent so i have downplayed my success so many times in conversations especially in you know queer communities or minority communities because yeah it can be hard to know that you're doing okay when other people are struggling yes and so and there's shame that comes with that as well and it's like it's you know, it's like, boo-hoo, we're doing okay, you know, but still, it's still shame. Yes, and, and, it, and it almost lends itself to sort of a reverse imposter syndrome, right? You, mm -hmm. know, or, you know, another version of it. Impostering the imposter, yeah. Right. But I do think that, that that mindset of downplaying your success is dangerous to our queer community because we need to show that queers can be successful. We need to show that queer people can be doing great things, that they that there are 20 million queer people in the U.S. and we have $1.4 trillion of purchasing power. And that if we start to realize the resources that we have as a community, we'll be better stewards of it and we will be able to affect change more. Wow. One, what trillion? $1.4 trillion of purchasing power. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And if we got that moving in the right direction, our community would be unstoppable. There's more queers than like five Southern states put together. There's a lot of us. And I think we're all carrying around this shame of like not knowing how or what to do with our finances and feeling like we either have to downplay our success or, you know, we're living with this scarcity mindset. Like I, especially with the, with gay men culture, like, they are expected to live these very fabulous lives. They're expected to constantly be going out, constantly be tanned, constantly be ripped, going to the best gyms, going to the best bars. Like, and let's not even talk about culture. the anal bleaching. Right? It's expensive to be a gay man. Yeah, for Very sure. expensive. And then you think about our trans community. They have a ton of expenses. It's very expensive. Yes, absolutely. So, so what do you think would be... Um, your top like maybe three pieces of pieces of advice to queer people particularly when it comes to finances i think as queers we're really focused on the current climates all all the time like you know that's part of a scarcity mindset is that you can't plan for long term because there's so many short term emergencies Right. Like we're always just scraping by this election or this law or, you know, this this terrible piece of legislation. And I think as queers, we have to start thinking long term so that we can protect ourselves on that long term scale. And so my biggest piece of advice for queer people is to start doing some long term financial planning for themselves, whether that's retirement planning or 
putting together their will, their estate planning, any sort of legacy planning. But my first piece of advice would just be, if you don't have one, open up an IRA. If you don't have a workplace 401k, open up an IRA. IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. Anyone can have them. Anyone who makes more than $6,000 a year in income can have an IRA. Start there, buy low-cost index funds. Call me, email me if you have any questions. Okay, well, we'll get that information to our listeners for sure. Yeah. But um, so like in terms of an IRA though, like is there like a a particular minimum that a person would have to invest into an IRA to be able to open one? There's no minimum for how much you have to invest. There's only a maximum um, and that depends on how much income you have. And these are really, you know, it's it's all very new and scary when you're first starting out in this world. Um, but let's say you pick a brokerage account like Vanguard. I personally love Vanguard because they're the only brokerage that's a co-op, which means that they're member-owned. They're like the REI of the investment world. Um, and so uh, if you wanted to open up an IRA with Vanguard, you could always call them and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you please help me set up this account? Can you make sure you can you walk me through how to link my bank account? Can you walk me through how to buy an investment? What should I do? Like those people will help you. Okay. Okay. And like, um, is there like a cost to that? I would imagine that there would be a cost to that. Yeah. I mean, is it like a percentage or is it like a flat fee? Yep. So every investment carries uh, this big, long, many, many page document called a prospectus. And in it, you can find the expense ratio. And as long as you're doing a low cost index fund, anything under, you know, 0.5%, you're going to be fine. Like, don't, don't worry about it. Don't get anything that's near a percent or over anything that's under half a percent is fine. The lower the cost, the the more money you keep in your pocket. Um, Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So my first, my first, first piece of advice would be open up an IRA Um, my second piece of advice would be build an emergency fund. I effing love my emergency fund. It, it, it gives me so much comfort and peace of mind and knowing that like my group of people are protected. If there's any emergencies, if I have an emergency and like I said, it lets me say no to a lot of things. Okay. So talk to me about an emergency fund. What does that mean exactly? Yep. So an emergency fund is just a bucket and people in the personal finance space like to use the word bucket, but it basically just means a place where you put your money, whether it's in a fire safe or if it's cash or a bank account books in a book, maybe (laughs) books, which I don't (laughs) recommend anymore because I've learned that's not smart, but um, that's where I I don't know. You saved like 30 grand. And I did. I This is what's hilarious about being like this person now is like, I've always been a good saver. I just never had a long-term outlook. It wasn't long-term, but what you did and how you, you know, what you raised went to to good use. (laughs) I was raised all over over Europe Europe for a few months. (laughs) Yeah, it was 30 grand for Europe for a few months. There was one incident of bed bugs. They mostly got my face. It was fine. My face and my left arm, but whatever. Other than that, it was brilliant. So anyway, go ahead. So an emergency fund is just a bucket and everyone should have one. It's my favorite piece of financial uh, nuggets and financial pillars and advice is it's just a bucket where you keep three to six months of living expenses, bare bones, living expenses, right? Enough to cover your house, 
your car, maybe your bills, anything that keeps you safe is what's considered an essential item in your emergency fund. So three to six months of what those are in a bucket. It's not for a vacation. It's not for a, you know, down payment on a house. It's just there for in case something goes wrong. Okay. Now how do you set aside that money? Like how do you recommend setting aside that kind of money? It depends on what kind of industry you're in. If you are in a cash-based industry and you, for some reason, are unbanked or undocumented, then you may have to do something like a fire safe or a safety deposit box. Um, If you're someone who has banking privileges, then I definitely encourage you to put it into a high-yield savings account. The high-yield savings account can get you right now 3% interest, whereas a regular savings account will give you like 0.001%. So I would say look for a high yield savings account so that you can make some cash on the cash that's sitting there. Okay. Okay. And then what's your third piece of wisdom for our queer friends? Mm, Okay. So this is controversial, um, but I am not somebody who's like, you have to get rid of all of your debt. Like get rid of your debt. If you have debt that's over 7%, then yes, that's hair on fire level of debt. That is put everything you've got. 7% of what? What you make? No, no, no. If your debt has more than 7% as its annual interest rate, your API. Okay. So like if you're like your credit cards are over 7%? Your credit cards, your loan products, your student loans, oh boy. your, you know, what you borrowed from your neighbor. <laughs> if it's over 7%, focus. So like 87% is bad. Yeah. It's really bad. <laughs> Yeah, anyway, go ahead. you went to yeah, a loan yes. place, which is my arch nemesis of finance, then yes, put everything you've got to that. But if you have loan products or credit cards and the interest rate is under 7%, then take a dual approach. Pay down debt while you're also saving money in your emergency fund and investing. Because if you don't have any savings and you're putting everything that you have to your debt, it makes it easy for you to get into a debt cycle. Let's say an emergency happens. Everything in that emergency mm. goes back onto your credit card and you're going back into the debt cycle. Whereas if you yeah. have an emergency fund, you are protecting yourself from going back into the debt cycle. And that's how most people stay in debt is that they don't have that bucket of money to protect them because life, something always comes up. Yeah, no, that's that's really, yeah, that's a good piece of advice actually because, I mean, I, I hear you. I mean, like- you're going to likely in our economy and our society going to be carrying a certain load of debt at this point and you know not sweating it as much as I mean because that's the thing I have definitely been caught in that debt cycle like you're saying because like my priority is always like oh I just want to get this paid off I want to get this paid off I want to get this paid off as opposed to like setting aside any money to you know accrue any kind of of wealth or anything like that, which is the other side of that coin and yeah, would and be I, actually ultimately helping me pay off the debt someday, potentially, you know? Yeah. So, and I think also what you're alluding to right there is that there's like, there's psychological benefits to watching something grow as opposed to watching something shrink, right? Yes. Like you want to get into that abundance mindset. You need to be saving and investing. If you're only constantly paying down debt, it it psychologically wears on you. You're not yeah. seeing things grow. 
for sure. Yeah. I mean, like there is a pleasure in seeing it, it shrink, but then there's always the next debt that comes in and it's like, okay, well I got rid of one, but here's another. And so, yeah, you're right. It is a, absolutely a cycle that we can see ourselves in for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. This has been an amazing conversation. I, yeah. Like seriously, thank you so much, Barb. This has this, been fun. There's been so like, I honestly, I feel like I definitely need to pick up your book and give it a read. I, as I said earlier, like a few people I know have read it and have definitely enjoyed it and gotten a lot out of it. And just having a conversation with you um, and hearing all this stuff, like it really does sound like it's got a lot to teach me and all the queerdos out there. So thank you. Thank you guys. This How has been a lot of fun. How would you feel about joining us for crushes this evening? I'd love to. Oh my God. Okay. Let's take a break and we'll come back for crushes. Crush. Oh wait, it's not Halloween anymore. Crush. Wait. No. Yeah. No. Will you have a crush. Well, hold on. Are we? Crush. No, we gotta go back. Are we? Crush. No. Yeah, okay. Crush. We're just going with it. Crush. We're rolling? Okay. We're rolling. Rolling. No, rolling this is not in very the Russian. I need to figure out my Russian again. Russian Russian? It's been very far too long. Too long for the Because you've been in, Russian in Great Britain. For, you've been in Essex. I could say. How could you do a crush? Crush. Crush. Hey, you got a crush this way. <laughs> and in fact, we have a special guest for all crushes. Our friend Bob is joining us for our crushes. You like Harry Potter. Oh, <laughs> Harry Potter. It's Tuesday, isn't it? It's Tuesday, isn't it? <laughs> God, we are fucking killing it in the, the Great British space. <laughs> the Great Britain space. Barbara. I bought it. Do you have a crush this week? Ooh, yes. I am super crushing on the women in Iran. Oh, okay. Tell more. Yeah, I'm just, the way you're making it sound like I'm listen. Have you been? You're not on any social. Evie's not on social media right now. Oh, okay. Are you on TikTok? Well, I've been away for a bit since I was imprisoned yeah. in, by the king of England. But the, no, and, the women I ran. It's like a super huge fucking political movement. Okay, well, Barb, tell me about it. So the women of Iran are currently fighting for basic human rights, right? Like the ability to walk and exist and not cover their hair and, you know, just basic human living rights. And so they've been doing a lot of protests and risking a lot of violence and bodily harm by doing these protests. And so I'm just, I'm watching it and I'm in awe and I'm so inspired by them. And yeah, they're my crush. Fucking incredible. Um, it's it's yeah. fucking wildly sad what's going on so in sad. Iran. Like it's really powerful, but also like tragic. And like there's all these like young protesters who have like been either imprisoned or killed. And there's athletes who have been imprisoned. So did something spark this? The hijab, like wearing it or not. So there's a huge like this protest that's going on where women are cutting their hair in public, which is like fundamentally wrong but i mean like the hijab i mean has been around forever like so what was there something specifically that like sort of kicked it off or was it just sort of like this boiling under like under the surface movement that just finally kind of kicked off do you know what i mean there was a woman who was was murdered 
Um, and that sort of is what started the the protest and these these riots was okay. there there was a woman who was murdered for having some of her hair showing and it just sparked public outrage and just became this big movement oh wow okay. yeah um there our sisters in Iran are no longer afraid of the Alatoyas like it's just kind of this whole okay yeah it's, it's been going on for a while um and like Incredible. I said there's a there's a lot of like really I mean I'm getting I'm getting most of my news from TikTok, but like it's a lot of younger women that are involved and they're like, they're literally getting fucking murdered because of their protests. And I mean, it's things as simple as, you know, not wearing hijab or wearing hijab. Like it's just, it's a complete personal choice. And then cutting their hair has been, and so actually some of the, even the, like the male athletes have been involved in like the, this sort of protests that like to make it look like they're cutting their hair so that you know they're protesting the control over women um there's also been uh, a huge protest in um Tehran about the uh um about allowing women to eat with men in the cafeteria at the university and a fucking mess. It's wild. Yeah, the woman who was was killed, she was actually beaten by by police officials um, for not covering her hair, and yeah, it, it was brutal. And there were photos, and so I think that went along with the public outrage. That's horrifying. Yeah, and it's I mean it's it's been going on for a while. The protests are pretty big, and there's a lot of people that have been involved in. It's a fucking mess, and it's so wild because like imperialism is is difficult and and gross but also like there's this idea of like if you don't get involved what ha- I, it, it's really complicated and I'm not going to pretend to know yeah cultural the, the right yeah. answer there but like also yeah I mean you know any any political position that doesn't allow women or any anybody for that matter to not just be you know where where the uh oh Hi, hi, sorry. Echo. Echo, yeah. So to not allow women to be or, you know, to any any kind of sort of like punishment is entrapment or well, I mean, like, like legit. I mean, what yeah. do we say here all the time? Like, just be yourself, right? And then, like, oh, if you're just being yourself, you're gonna get fucking murdered. Like, well, don't terrifying. be yourself if you're a yeah, woman. Exactly. If yeah, you're queer, a woman. <laughs> if you're queer, you know, if you're a woman, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, be yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, as long as you're a dude. Hashtag all men. All men. Nicole, who's your crush? Not a man. Um. <laughs> who's your crush? Who's my crush? Yeah. Okay, how about we go with mine? Let's go with Evie's crush. <laughs> <laughs> my crush is obviously going to be my girl, Amos. Ooh. Yeah. We just celebrated our 18th anniversary and... <sighs> Holy shit, 18 fucking years. That's Let so me tell long. you, friends. Um, it's, you know, people make a lot, people make a big deal about, oh my God, it's got to be so fucking boring being with the same person, waking up with the same person every day for this many years. And let me tell you, it is not fucking boring. <laughs> Certainly, life sound, has its moments It's not boredom, boring. Okay. But... Kissing the same face every day and having that same face, like, be, like, my biggest 
fan and my biggest critic and my biggest supporter and my, you know, all of the things. I mean, life with this bitch has been a trip. I love it. It has been you a guys... ride. It is wild. It is not boring. I was five when you guys met. Yeah. And I, mean, I love that. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm 183. So. I love that for me that I was basically your child. But I was, <laughs> no, I was, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was six when you guys met. And it's so cute for me. Um, I would say that my crush. Oh, you have one. Yay. Yeah, it's Olivia fucking Pope because she was at Soho this Good weekend. Good job on that. Carrie Washington, ma'am, thank you so much for coming to Detroit and thank you for stopping in Soho and, and reminding us all to vote, which we should all do. Vote everywhere, please. Um, and please, 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 please vote Michigan. You already voted. Exactly. Yeah, hopefully you already voted. But Carrie Washington, you were at Soho. I love you. Um, Olivia, in Olivia Pope voice, we should talk about this like the way that it would come out if it was Olivia Pope, right? Because she has already directed us to vote. Have you voted? Have you voted? I don't know if you voted yet, but I'll tell you what. If you haven't voted yet, then you've got a fucking big problem with democracy because I'll tell you something else. Democracy is going to die if you don't vote. I'm your child. <laughs> Because I was six when you met. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. So, um, uh, Barbara, thank you so much for coming on. Seriously, you... Barb. Honestly, there was yeah. a lot of really great advice. So cool. Podcast, and I really hope everybody goes out and picks up your book. Um, what is it? Tipped. tipped. What is it? Tipped. It's well, so I mean, good. I know the tipped. It's just the the uh, oh, the long part. Gigantic. <laughs> The Life-Changing Guide to Financial Freedom for, wait for Waitresses, Bartenders, Strippers, and All Other Service Industry Professionals by Barbara Sloan, S-L-O-A-N. Barb, how can people find you? Yeah, thanks for asking that. I always forget to, to plug stuff. Um, they can find me on Instagram is where I mostly hang out on the socials, and it's at Tipped Finance. You can find me making funny financial memes. I like to approach finance with a bit of humor and a bit of sarcasm. Um, so at Tip Finance on all the socials. I've just started on TikTok. I do a, I do an occasional tweet if that still exists by the time this comes out. Um, and Elon, who knows? <laughs> you can also find me at www.tippedfinance.com. I do one-on-one -on -one financial coaching. I will come to your restaurant, your bar, your club. I will give a money talk to your staff. Um, if you want to tell me about a win or you have a question, hop into my DM, send me an email. I love to see people win. Um, and this is, this is a passion project for me. So yeah, hit that's, me up. That's awesome. And very generous of you to offer up your DMs. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Um, cause you're going to get, yeah, you're going to get flooded, but I don't know. This is awesome. And you're really smart. And I'm glad that we, uh, we, we, we know each other. Yeah. Should, yeah. should we tell your listeners? How, how we know each other? Let's do how it. what? <laughs> how we know each other? How do you know each other? We have... Uh... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, I have been talked about many times on this podcast, although <laughs> not by name. <laughs> right? I, we're usually pretty good about like... Okay, are we talking about person one or person two? Yeah, I mean, listen, I have... I will say I do not like my nickname on this show, and I am pissed about it. <laughs> Wait, hold on. What nickname do you think is yours? Uh, I know. It starts with a T. With a what? 
a T. Tina. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because... Okay, well, that's just a blonde hair reference. <laughs> oh, see, okay, so, I'm um, legit about the blonde hair thing. Uh, that yeah. is so femphobic of you guys. <laughs> oh, no, bullshit. it was legit about the, Literally, about the blonde hair. just about trying to fucking separate you. Okay, so Barbara and I, uh, we did date for a minute. Yeah, a minute. More than a minute. Like an hour. Like an, an hour and a half. Yeah, probably an yeah. hour and a half. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A few years. Five years. Five years, right? Something like a six? Was it five? It's a long ass time. We dated for about seven years. But you Um, also got bed bugs together, which I think is probably the most important thing. But Nicole got bored of my face. So luckily that hasn't happened for you, Evie. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what? Bored of your face? (laughs) She was saying 18 years, she got bored of their faces. I hear that. I hear that. She's calling back to my crush. Yeah. Yeah. Call back. Call back or a throwback. It's a back something. I don't know. Easter egg. You listening. You gave me bed bugs. Um. (laughs) So. (laughs) No. We no. We dated for a minute. We dated for like six years. It was a big relationship. Uh, it was a big breakup, and it's also been a big friendship. So, Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do? You know what? Listen, queer folks, it can happen. Um, this is why queer people. I, I would just like to say, this is why queer people are far superior to straight people. Okay, all I, mean, I can say is, say it. stick it out. It might take a minute because we can friends with that person. Friendships with our exes, but straight people just can't. Yeah, it does take a minute though. I don't know what you're talking this about. This one right here knows friends right away, weren't we? <laughs> for life. Yeah, I, I, I definitely died uh, for a few years in your eyes, but eventually we became very good friends, and we're good friends now. And you yeah. know what? I'm happy, happy for her and her whole life, and yeah. I'm. I know. I totally get it. Yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's it's hard at first, but eventually it's like water under the bridge, baby. Yeah, we're 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 Strange good friends, term. and her wife. I'm happy for her whole life. Everything's good. We're good. We're good friends. And I think you are a brilliant money person. Yeah. <laughs> and there wouldn't there wouldn't be anyone else I'd rather live in a car and pee on the streets with. Oh, that's really sweet. Um <laughs> God, my fucking life is ridiculous and I hate it. Oh no, your life but is I love amazing it. adventures. Yeah. And that's the thing. Listen, my therapist reminds me all the time that Amos and I make time for adventures in our lives and that's something that both of you do as well and a lot of fucking yeah no we and don't, that's the thing so. we 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 had a good time we, we had, had fun and it was, it was a time. wild time when we were young and like it was all adventure and you know what to be fair would you have written a book if we didn't make all those crazy decisions I don't know so let's just <laughs> at this point let's just actually change that dedication to yeah. me my wife no longer gets the dedication it's now going to nicole <laughs> thank you i mean i'm i am the one who's actually responsible for those fun financial choices but no i'm just kidding we're good was, everything's good we're happy hot financial and... mess when i met you <laughs> no i was too and it took me a long time so but your advice is really helpful yeah, I'm super excited to read the book. I really am. Oh, yay. So thank you so much, Barb, for being on tonight. 
Thank you guys uh, so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I love what you're doing. I honestly recommend I love what you're doing. to everybody. Yeah, I do too. I really do love what you're doing. It's it's super necessary. It's super needed. And it's smart. We are grateful to you as spokespeople for the entire queer community. And you're you welcome. Know, we were um, nominated as the spokespeople just yesterday. Just yeah, all queer people voted. Uh, yeah, because it's it actually happens on Sundays because we don't necessarily have to go to church. Just, uh, yeah, everybody voted, mm-hmm. and you're our representatives. Yeah, for the next how many years? Yeah, exactly. Ten, and you're welcome for the financial ruin. Okay, so thank <laughs> you so much. Um, where do people find us, Nicole, on socials? Speaking of socials that I never go on to. <laughs> My brain is toast. At Weirdos. Facebook? At Weird Podcast. Instagram? Did I fuck that up? Maybe. It might be vice versa. Might be vice versa. Anyway, you can find us. Um, leave us a voice message, though. Those are the most fun. Those are fun. And, and again, can... thank you, Barb. Thank you, everybody. Stay weird. Be weird. Bye. Bye.